Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Just real quick, it's going to be a little different today. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year. It is uh, 2024. Man, do I have some incredibly exciting news. And uh, when I share it, you'll understand why today is such a special, historic day in the life and only God kind of gathering in the life of our church I stand before you and officially tell you that Carolina Forest Community Church is debt-free. It's said, it said only God. It's an only God through in you and through you. And every one of you played a part as you've been praying and giving as a reflection of God's generosity into our lives. And over the last 22 months since we started the For the Kingdom campaign, we've paid off $1.1 million in debt. It's an emotional thing. Um, <laughs> candidly, never thought I'd stand before our church and say that. So it's an emotional thing to be able to say that God's done an amazing work among us. And there's no doubt he'll continue that. No doubt in my mind. And while we could start talking about what's next, that's not what today is. I'm not going to vision cast you on the next phase or anything like that. We'll share that in the coming months more, but... Today is a moment where we pause, we give thanks, and we praise through song. We'll start our Holy Spirit series next week, so if you've come looking for that, just come back. We'll start next week, I promise. Um, I want to share quickly, because this is going to be kind of one of those things where I share, and we sing, and I share, and we sing kind of back and forth here. But I think there's an important lesson and truth here, and I want to take you to a place in Scripture in Luke chapter 17. And we'll have the Scripture on the screen if, since we're going to do this briefly. Luke writes this in verses 11 through 19. He says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and he's talking about Jesus. In verse 12, he says, And as he entered a village... He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In verse 14 it says, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Verse 17, then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Verse 19, and he said to him, rise 
and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The nine wanted the healing. The one wanted the healer. Too often we are content to enjoy the gift but forget the giver. And that's why God leading in this part just to pause and make sure that we, that we pause and we celebrate the giver. We're quick to pray a lot of times, but we're slow to praise. The other nine were declared clean by the priest. They were clean by the time they got there. But the one was declared saved by the Son of God. Jesus doesn't demand our gratitude, but he desires it. And he's worthy of it. In a heart of thankfulness, he teaches us so much more about himself. And when you're thankful, you're humble. And when you're humble, you're thankful. See, the truth is, if God never did another thing for us, we could spend the rest of our lives thanking him for all that he has done. With deep appreciation and humility. And we're going to reflect on that at the end of our time in communion. I want us to always be the one. I want us to, to be the one. No matter what happens, no matter what everyone else does, what, whatever may come, may we always be humble, grateful, thankful, and faithful as one. This can be our testimony. And as you survey scripture, you see there are so many places where, where the scripture teaches us to be thankful. And how are, how are our hearts so thankful in this moment of our church's life? We're in our 27th year, and God has set us free. This is all God's now, is what one of our elders shared this past week. What he wants to do in the future, he knows, and we're going to be faithful and surrendered to that. Open hands. But I want to share just quickly some verses, and we're going to sing some more. Psalm 9-1, the psalmist writes, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Psalm 30, verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 79, 13, but we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. May that be true of our church. Colossians 3, 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks when in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And listen to these last two, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, let's stand for this. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him forever. Let's sing together. Let's give thanks for he is worthy and he has done great things. Amen. We're going to continue to worship. We're going to continue to bring our 
grateful hearts to God. God, we're so grateful for what you've done. We're so grateful for who you are.
Amen, church. Let's continue to sing today. We believe he has done great things. Not only that, we believe he is still going to do immeasurably more. Come on. Just one word. You come the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch.
Father, in this moment right now, I pray that you sense, hear, receive just the gratefulness and the thankfulness of a church family for all that you have done, for all that you've been doing, and for what you're going to do in the future. God, we are truly in awe of your, your leading and your guiding, your moving in and through us for the glory of your Son and our Savior, Jesus, because it's all about him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen, church. You guys can have a seat. As I have prayed and read and tried to listen this week, I mean, what do you say in a moment like this? What do you, we've never done this before. Like I've never, <laughs> we've never had a moment like this before since the very founding of the church. But every time I would open and look at passages of scripture and think, man, that might be good, or this might be good, or maybe that would work, or this, it just came back to Jesus. And you're like, ah, seems pretty evident that it's going to be back to Jesus. True. But how do I, how do we exalt him in a moment like this? No matter what happens from paying off the debt to extending the campus to fill in the blank, it, it comes back to and is filled up by it's all about Jesus. And so God led me into a place, and it's something I've shared before with our church, but we're going to do it again this morning. And I want us to be reminded what better way to celebrate Jesus than to share the story of the Bible. It's a big book. 66 books, 40 authors, 1,500 years it took to compile it, 1,100 chapters, 31,000 verses, and 800,000 words in three languages on three continents, but one Savior, one hope, Jesus. And I'm not sure it's possible to tell the story of the Bible in our time remaining, but we're here for him and so we're going to give it a go and i thought it also works with the start of a new year that we we hear the story of the bible so here it is in six parts part one god creates everything in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth in six days god made made everything and it was good and on the seventh day he rested that's genesis one Genesis 2 tells us about Adam and Eve. God created Adam out of the dust of the ground and placed him in the garden. There he fashioned Eve from a rib taken from Adam's side. He presented Eve to Adam who was very pleased indeed. The two became one flesh. They were naked and they were not ashamed. Part 2. The serpent appears to Eve and deceives her. She eats the fruit, gives it to Adam, and he eats. Eve ate the fruit because she was deceived by the serpent. Adam was not deceived as Eve was. He knew it was wrong, but he ate the fruit anyway. Therefore, God holds him accountable. Romans 5.12 says, Sin entered the world through one man. 
This was a decisive moment, the great turning point. Nothing will ever be the same. Suddenly they are ashamed. They try to cover their nakedness. Innocence is gone forever. When confronted by God, Adam makes excuses. Who told you that you were naked? The woman you gave me. First he blames Eve, then he blames God. Eve blames the serpent. Judgment comes quickly. They're cast out of the garden. God clothed them with the garments of skin, a sign of his grace. Now they were on their own. The world became a very unfriendly place. Cain killed Abel. Civilization spread. Large cities formed. Death is everywhere. That's Genesis 4 and 5. Things go from bad to worse. In Genesis 6, God intervenes. The earth had grown corrupt and full of evil. God calls Noah who builds an ark. When the flood comes covering the whole earth, only eight people are saved. Here we learn, the, we learn of judgment and we learn of grace. Now the line narrows to Noah and his family. After the flood, the three sons of Noah spread out and begin to multiply. Generations come and they go. Eventually they build a tower to express their enormous arrogance. God sends the confusion of languages to the Tower of Babel. People scatter across the face of the earth. Part 3. Something hugely important happens in Genesis 12. God calls Abraham. He's prosperous, middle-aged businessman in the Ur of Chaldee. God calls. He responds and becomes the outstanding of faith. Example of faith in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac. Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob has many sons, the most important being Joseph. Joseph ends up serving Pharaoh in Egypt. His family follows him there. They number 70. God blesses them until the day comes when a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. For 400 years, the people suffered in bondage until God raised up a deliverer named Moses. He goes before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And when Pharaoh says, no, God sends the ten plagues. The last one was the death of the firstborn. So Moses leads the Jews out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and into the desert. At Mount Sinai, God gives the law, starting with the Ten Commandments. That is, that is in Exodus chapter 20 specifically. At Kadesh, they send out 12 men to spout the land of Canaan. It was a land filled with milk and honey, but because there were giants in the land, the ten, 10 of the spies said, no, we can't go. Because the people did not believe God's promise, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Then God raised up another leader, Joshua. He leads the people to conquer the land of Canaan, the promised land. They divide the land for the 12 tribes. Then comes the wild period of the judges where every man did what was right in his own eyes. You know some of them, Gideon, Samson, Deborah. The story of Ruth is in this period. God led his people by prophets and priests and judges, but the people wanted a king. And so God gave them Saul, who started well but ended badly. Then came David, whose victory over Goliath made the women sing his praises. But later, David's reign would be tarnished because of his sin with Bathsheba. Then came Solomon, the king who asked God, give me wisdom. He built a magnificent temple in Jerusalem, but he married foreign women who turned his heart away from God. That's 1 Kings 11. Meanwhile, the priest offered sacrifices day after day and year after year. A river of blood flowed from the altar. High priests came and they went. After Solomon's death, the nation split into two parts. The northern ten tribes were led by a long string of evil kings. They were taken into captivity in 722 B.C. The southern two tribes had a few good kings. They lasted until 586 B.C. when the Babylonians took them into captivity. The prophets brought God's message of warning and of hope. Isaiah spoke of a suffering servant. Jeremiah wept for his people. Daniel explained the handwriting on the wall. The people of God languished in exile for 70 years. It was a hard, humiliating time for the Jewish people. 
Finally, God raised up two key men. The first was Zerubbabel, who led a small group back to Jerusalem at the end of the 70 years. In 445 B.C., Nehemiah rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. Sometime after that, Malachi the prophet gave his message from the Lord. The Old Testament comes with a sense of long, closes with a sense of longing and expectation. Promises have been made. The prophets had spoken. The people are waiting. What would God do? Part four. In a most unlikely way, in a most unlikely place, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, not just any baby, but the seed of the woman, the son of David, and whose name is Emmanuel, God with us. Shepherds glorified him, angels announced him, the Magi brought him gifts, and the angel told Joseph, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's Matthew 1, verse 21. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was baptized by John, tempted by the devil, misunderstood by the religious leaders, feared by some, hated by others, but the common people heard him gladly. He was full of grace. He was full of truth. He was the fullness of God in bodily form, fully human, fully God. The Bible says he went around doing good. He caused, causes the blind to see, makes the deaf to hear, casts out demons, heals the sick, and raises the dead. He invites the weary to come to him for rest. He teaches God's law. He embodies God's love. He fulfills God's promises. He preaches to the masses. He speaks in parables. He's a friend of sinners everywhere. Repeatedly, he tells the 12 that he will be betrayed into the hands of sinful men who will beat him and crucify him. He then tells them after three days, though, he'll rise from the dead. They do not understand. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays in agony. Judas betrays him. Peter denies him. The disciples abandon him. Caiaphas accuses him. Herod mocks him. The soldiers beat him. Pilate condemns him to death. He's crucified between two criminals. He cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And it is finished. Finally, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then he breathed his last breath. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. On one day he was dead. Two days he was dead, but on the third day, two women went to the tomb to anoint his dead body. They found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty. In Luke 24, 5 and 6, an angel said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. The word began to spread. He's alive. Over 40 days, Jesus appeared to many disciples. His message, God is glorified. I am alive. Redemption is accomplished. Go and tell everyone. And then he ascended into heaven. Part 5. For 10 days, the disciples waited and they prayed. That's Acts 1. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in great power. With the sound of a rushing wind, with tongues of fire, the disciples speak in foreign languages they did not know. Peter preaches and 3,000 are saved in one day. The church is born in Jerusalem and grows amid opposition. The message spreads throughout Judea, Samaria, then the Galilee. It moves across the Roman Empire as Peter and Paul and the other disciples preach the good news. The church faces growing opposition and rising heresy. There are troubles on every corner, on every hand. James writes, Paul writes, Peter writes, John writes. The New Testament is complete. So the word of the Lord spread. The disciples, they multiplied and the church grew. Even in the fact of intense opposition, the first Christians proclaimed the message, Jesus is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And they said to anyone who would listen, if you will repent and believe the gospel, Jesus will give you grace, forgiveness, and mercy, power over sin, over death, over hell, over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus Christ is Lord. Part six. 
If you go all the way to the end of the New Testament, to the book of Revelation, there we find pictured the final act of history. The return of Jesus Christ to the earth. And it begins this way. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. If it was soon 2,000 years ago, how much longer can it be? Jesus Christ is coming again. It's an amazing thought. Magnificent, unbelievable, thrilling. Acts 1.11 says that this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This same Jesus, not someone like Jesus, not a group of Jesus scholars, but Jesus himself is coming again, coming soon to a city, to a town, a village, a street, a home, near you or your home, my home. And when he comes the second time, it will not be as a savior. It will be as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Came the first time as the lamb of God. He comes again as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when Christ finally appears the second time, every knee, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The best is yet to come. No wonder the Bible ends with these words. In Revelation 22, the last two verses says this. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. That is the Bible. God creates man. Man rebels. God initiates redemption. God accomplishes redemption. God ordains the church, and God completes redemption. Now, finally, if you imagine the Bible as this great sanctuary, and every book in the Bible as a seat in the sanctuary, then we can say wherever you go in the Bible, no matter what book you open to, you get a great view because you see Jesus everywhere. Let me show you. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the scapegoat. In Numbers, he's the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy, he's the cities of refuge. In Joshua, he's the scarlet thread on Rahab's house. In Judges, he's the perfect judge. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he's the trusted prophet. In 2 Samuel, he's the true son of David. In 1 Kings, he's the promise keeper. In 2 Kings, he's the jealous God. In 1 Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In 2 Chronicles, he's our deliverer. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken walls. In Esther, he's Mordecai at the gate. In Job, he's my redeemer who lives today. In Psalms, he's the Lord who is my shepherd. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's our true satisfaction. In Song of Solomon, he's the beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the one who restores. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the mighty judge. In Jonah, he's the foreign missionary. And in Micah, he's our peace. In Nahum, he's the avenger. In Habakkuk, he's the Lord in his holy temple. In Zephaniah, he's the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he's the Lord of hosts. In Zechariah, he's the fountain of cleansing. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness. In Matthew, he's the promised Messiah. In Mark, he's the faithful servant. In Luke, he's the friend of sinners. In John, he's the son of God. 
In Acts, he's the ascended Lord. In Romans, he's the justifier. First Corinthians, he's righteousness. Second Corinthians, he's the God of all comfort. In Galatians, he's the redeemer. From the curse of the law, in Ephesians, he's the head of the church. In Philippians, he's the all-sufficient Christ. In Colossians, he's the fullness of God. In Thessalonians, he's the Lord coming down from heaven. In 2 Thessalonians, he's the judge coming with blazing fire. In 1 Timothy, he's our mediator. In 2 Timothy, he's our master. In Titus, he's the blessed hope. In Philemon, he's the one who paid our debt. In Hebrews, he's our great high priest. In James, he's the judge standing at the door. In 1 Peter, he's the chief shepherd. In 2 Peter, he's the morning star. In 1 John, he's the word of life. In 2 John, he's the son of the father. In 3 John, he's the truth. In Jude, he's the Lord coming with countless thousands of his saints. And in Revelation, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the point. He's the focus of the Bible. The whole book is about him. CFCC is about him. If you know the Bible but you don't know Jesus, you've missed the point. Of his kingdom there will be no end. He shall reign forever and ever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, church, let's stay in the sea.
it's all about. Nothing matters more than that. And I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. Come on. If you want to go ahead and pull out your communion cup, you can stay standing. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is for you as he has given us this commandment in Scripture. If you're not a Christian, I'd invite you just to observe the participation of Christians around you. If you want to become a Christian, as you've heard God speak to us this morning, mercy and grace and forgiveness is found in in only one place and in one person in Jesus Christ. You repent, you confess, you believe. The Bible says you become part of his family. I invite you to do that. And if that is the prayer that you pray, then by all means, let this be the day that you take communion with brothers and sisters that you will be with forever and ever. Let's pull out that wafer on the top. A representation, a symbol this morning for us the reminder that Jesus is everything. He held nothing back. The completeness of the wafer can remind us of the completeness of the, of the sacrifice. Let's take this together. You want to go ahead and pull off As you open up the bottom of the cup and the juice becomes visible, again, a symbol of the blood that was shed for us. There was no, no way we could shed. There was nothing that we could do. It had to be him. 
and he went freely. As you heard me say that he, at the very end, he committed his spirit to the Father's hands. He was in control the entire time, which speaks to us just how beautiful and amazing his love for us really is. We say this often, you've never lived an unloved day in your life. You're not to be alone or isolated for God is with us everywhere. Let's take this together. Father, it is hard to put into words what we are celebrating today in this moment, this little mark on the timeline in the life of your church. But God, I pray that you've heard our, our songs of praise, our prayer of praise, our, our thoughts as we have looked up to you, grateful, humbled to be a part of your work and your mission that no one should perish. God, thank you for the privilege. Thank you for saving a wretch like me. Thank you that we are secure in your hands forever and ever. And until we come to that point, God, lead the way. May we remain faithful and let you take care of the rest. May we be the witness to the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name.